All right, one last round. You guys ready to go? Okay, you sounded good back there, man. I was listening and worship, worshiping with you. Uh, for those of you that you're here for the first time, you weren't part of uh, one weekend, my name is Bob Witte. Uh, teach up north uh, in Joplin, Missouri, just an hour, hour and 15 minutes away at Ozark Christian College. Uh, with, yeah, I've yeah, got some Ozark students here. Nice. Uh, we've got a booth that's set up out there after the service is over. We'd love to talk to any of you students, uh, leaders that are here. If you're here for the first time, uh, we'll be, I'll be out there and some of my students will be as well and we'd love to get to know you. We've been walking through this theme of LEAD, which is an acronym. Uh, what's L stand for again? Love. Love. Man, you all don't even have to look up at the screen, do you? Like, you got it down. What about E? All right. What about the A? Okay. And last letter? Destin. Okay, the word destiny, developing according to a specific plan. Like there's just this, this specific plan track that you're supposed to walk. It's this unfolding will of God. And so, like for example, my son Josh that's here with me was destined to play the drums. Like I knew that from a, a young age in his life. One, when we'd watch the Muppets, Animal was his favorite. You know, like it, that's, since he could walk, if we ever lost sight of him at church, we knew where he was at, even as a little toddler, like he's climbing up on the stage, trying to get on the drums. In youth group, uh, when he's running around as a little guy, and I was a youth pastor, he was always hanging out with the drummers, like he just sensed it, he knew who it was, and so that was God's destiny for him to play the drums, and that's what he does now, like he, and he's an awesome drummer. What about you? It's like, well, I don't know, I don't do things. Maybe I'm supposed to destined to play soccer. I don't think that drums is the only thing that Josh was destined to do. Whatever you're into, whatever even you're filtering through that cross like what we talked about yesterday, I don't think that's all that you were destined to do. Is there a spiritual destiny? Do, do we have that? I mean, what is God's unfolding will for my life? Well, that's a huge question that I don't even know if we need to ask it all the time. Galatians 5.25 is pretty clear. It's talking about the Holy Spirit, and, it, and we're called to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I grew up in St. Louis. I remember it snowed really, really deep one time, and my dad was going out to shovel snow, and I was going, you know, I was a little bitty guy, and I was going out there with him, and he had on those big boots, and wherever he stepped, it was like I had to jump into his footprints. That's what it means to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Wherever he leads, then I go. And so if he turns to the left, I turn to the left. If he turns to the right, then I turn to the right. That God's will for your life, God doesn't give you this flash or this, this huge like floodlight where you can see five, 10, 20 years down the road. He gives you a flashlight so you can put one foot in front of the other and just keep in step with him, paying attention to the opportunities and people that God puts in your path. That is your destiny. That's what you're called to do. And we see that come across in Mark chapter 2. Open up Bibles and devices to Mark chapter 2. Get those open. Don't just sit there and stare at me. Open it up. As a matter of fact, open it up because I am going to uh, just talk about the story. I'm not going to actually read the story, but you need to double check that I'm getting everything right in the story. I ad-lib a little bit. I might just add a few little details just for the story enhancement that may not actually be in the text, but I love, love Mark chapter 2. 
uh, starting there in verse 1. Here we have Jesus in his hometown. Uh, it's not necessarily Nazareth. It's all these little towns were close, to bo- close by to each other. And he's in his home region in Capernaum area, north of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus comes up to this guy's house. We're not sure if Jesus knows this man or knows him very well, but he knocks on the door. So if Jesus is knocking on the door of your life, if he's knocking on the door of your house, what should you do? Hello? Answer it, yes. It's an obvious question. Yes, you all have an A in Bible college right now if you open up the door for Jesus. Good work with that. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, and it's even this way today with my family, if we're having guests over, what does your mama want you to do? Clean. Your mama's like my mama then. Yeah, like you have to clean the house. Why you're forced to clean your room when you're having guests over, I have no idea because they're not coming to hang out in your room. They're going to stay like in the living room in the kitchen. It should just still be a mess, right? Not according to your mama. Mama's always right, right? Say yes if she's in here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay, good, good. That's the right answer. All right. So Jesus comes over to this guy's house. He opens the door. He yells back in the house like, honey, Jesus is here. And she's like, oh, my goodness, the house is a mess. It wasn't necessarily expected. And so what are we going to do? Jesus comes in. He's like, hey, I'm not worried about that. I'm here to hang out with you. We're going to fellowship together. I'm going to do some teaching. And then uh, so, G- so this guy starts to close the door after Jesus comes in. And then there, boom, there's a big fisherman foot. It's like, hey, we're with him. Peter comes in, and James, and John, and Andrew, and Bartholomew, Judas, eh, had to invite him, but it, you know, got him coming along there. Thomas showed up. We doubted he could make it, but there he was. But don't, I have one joke. That was it. You're welcome. Good night. You know, no, I, like, I'm not a joke teller. People tell me I'm funny, but I don't feel funny. I always feel angry, like on the edge, but I'm really nice, so... Yeah, anyway, enough about me. There we go. So here they, the disciples, they come in. Now we got a house full of this guy's family, plus Jesus, plus 12 disciples. And so the guy's closing the door like, man, that's a lot of people in the house today. Uh, it's like college students. If I invite one college student to my house, 10 of them show up just like that. We've had 70 to 80 people in our house at one time. It's like, I don't know what to do with that. It was during a Super Bowl. And it's like, what do we do? They've got laundry on. You know, they're like eating all of our food. There's a goat out in the yard. Like, what in the world? Like, there really wasn't a goat, but it's just fun to say. Uh, Man, they just pile into the house, and that's kind of what's going on here. All the disciples are in, and then as the guy's closing the door, then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're knocking on the door, and they're going, hey, we're with him. And they're with Jesus, but as we've been learning, as we've been looking at some of these stories about Jesus, they like to follow him, but they weren't really following him. They were always trying to trap him, catch him into doing something wrong, saying something that he shouldn't say, doing you know, a miracle on the Sabbath, or whatever their rules and regulations were. Jesus was always breaking them, and so they were trying to figure out a way to trap him. Maybe today in the house they could get that opportunity. So they pile in. All the religious leaders are there. Pretty soon, the entire neighborhood figures out that Jesus is in this house. Can you imagine? Okay, I'm speaking, but then, you know, Kevin Crow comes up on stage and he says, hey, guys, everybody, Jesus is, you know, just like down the street or something at somebody's house. Would you stay here and listen to me? No, you would be running down the street to go figure out where Jesus is at so you can catch a glimpse of him. You know, get a selfie with him, whatever it is that you're going to do with Jesus. Absolutely, I'd be the first one out the door. And so everybody in that community starts piling into this house. There is no room in the house. And then where our story picks up is that there's these four guys. Four guys. What are their names? Good answer. We don't have a clue. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, we don't know what their names are. We don't know anything about them. All the, the only thing that we know about them is that they have a friend. And this friend cannot walk. Uh, he's lame. He's paralyzed. We don't know what happened to him. Some people think maybe he was born that way. I happen to think maybe he became paralyzed later in life. And the reason why I think that is because he has friends that care about him. Because in Jesus' day, the people that were either blind or they were paralyzed or one guy had a withered arm uh, that, that they couldn't speak, if they had leprous skin diseases, if there was just anything physically wrong with you, Jewish tradition taught that you have done something to anger God and their writings would even state that God hates you and has cursed you. Therefore, we as a community, we have the right to hate you and to curse you. And so these people were ostracized. They were, they were on the outskirts of the community now is that correct theology no 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 no, not at all we're supposed to embrace love doesn't matter absolutely draw people in and that's why jesus was so like just just out of this world when he showed up because they, they didn't know what to do with him because the religious leaders were always pushing these types of people away and Jesus is going, no, let them come into me. Like, and he embraced them and healed them and loved them and ate with them and hung out with them and it was just revolutionary in that time. And so I think that this guy probably either became paralyzed, whether it was a de degenerative disease or he uh, dove into a lake and broke his neck. Maybe it was a work accident or something because he had four people that cared about him. Like they, they, they cared about him enough to go and get him. And so you picture this house filling up and they're running towards the house and the four guys go, wait a second, we gotta go get our friend. And so then they run, whether he's begging in the town square, maybe he was at home, we don't know much about this guy either, but they go and they grab him and all four of them grab one end, you know, they each grab a corner of his mat and they just start running towards the house and as they're running, the guy is just like bouncing along, they're going, where are we going, what in the world is going on, just shut up, we don't have time to talk about it. And they, they turn the corner and you can't even see the house anymore, there's just like this cloud of dust that's all around, like man. Well, they're going to try anyway, so they go up to the front door, and there's people on the inside of the house, and there's, they're packed on the outside of the house, in the doorway, in the windows, the front door, back door, like they, they're just, it's so crowded, and so there's, they're elbowing people, like, hey, make way, we got to get this guy inside, we got to get him to Jesus, maybe he could heal them, like, let, let's get him in, do you think anybody's given up their front row seats to the Jesus show? No way, absolutely not, they're not going to give up their spot, especially for this crippled person, like, no, absolutely not. And so everybody's wedging them back and elbowing them, and they can't get inside the house. So if you're looking at the text, you see they just give up. They lay the guy down on the, on the ground, and they just walk away. Story over. Good night. Nice weekend. Because that's what's happening. Is that what your Bible says? What do they do? Yeah, they climb up on the roof. I picture him trying to shove people in this guy into the window. I picture him going around to the back door and nothing's working. And so they get this bright idea, hey, let's get on the roof. This proves, this proves what age these boys were. <laughs> What's so funny about that? Because you all are thinking it, aren't you? Just show of hands. How many of you boys in here for no good reason whatsoever have just climbed on a roof? Just for the fun of it. Absolutely. Matter of fact, there's four guys up on the roof right now, this building. Like they're up there, they're listening. Yeah. Now, I don't know why we do this. We do it all the time. We in my family, we used to have what we call don't tell mom moments. I have two boys. 
And so they would ask me, and uh, we lived in Phoenix. We had a pool with a diving board for a while, and I was on the diving board, and I was taking my boys, and I was throwing them up into the air, and they were going, they were going about the level of the roof. And so we had this great idea of a don't tell mom moment. So it's like, oh, let's get up on the roof. But mom overheard the discussion and said, uh-uh, not happening. And so, yeah, that stinks because we would have had fun up on the roof throwing the boys into the pool from the roof. Don't you think that's a good idea? Mom did not think that was a good idea. So these four guys, they climb up on the roof. Uh, there's probably a stairwell that goes up there, maybe a ladder. Back then, they didn't have roofs like we do with shingles that were pitched like this, but instead they were flat roofs. A lot of times they would store animals up there for safety during the night, or people would even sleep up there sometimes during the cool of the evening if the, if the house was too crowded. And so they climb up on the roof, and they start, you know, like digging through the thatch and the tiles. Now, have you ever been sitting in church or youth group, and there's been a distraction in church? What are some things that distract you? Okay, everything, junior high boys, everything distracts me. I can't even pay attention right now. Where's sugar? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anybody get distracted by a phone ringing sometimes? Yep. It's always an old person. They can't hear it, like the pitch, they can't hear it. Yep. I'm there now, like, oh, that's my phone. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't care. What about babies? Somebody say crying babies? Yeah, crying babies aren't so bad. Like, that's not too bad because usually a baby starts fussing and the mom or the dad, they jump up right away and they go, you know, they go outside, take care of the baby. It's not the crying babies. It's when the mama sits down on like the front rows or wherever because then the preacher's preaching, he's giving you the gospel and that, that mama then pulls out her baby and puts him, puts him up on her shoulder. What happens? The next four rows behind that mama, they are not listening to their preacher. They are all probably going to go to hell because they did not hear the gospel because they were paying attention to the baby. That's it. New church rule. All mamas with babies have to sit on the back row. Just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, there's distractions in church. When I was growing up, church of about 200 people or so, um, and no matter where I sat in church in high school, uh, if I was up in the front corner, if I'd sit in the back corner hiding in the middle, there was always this old lady. She was as sweet as can be, Jane McCowan. She would always be within earshot of me, sitting right in front of me, next to me, behind me, somewhere. And after communion, we would take communion every week, um, and after communion was over, she would pull out one of those little peppermints in the cellophane wrapping paper, and with her little arthritic fingers, like she couldn't get it open, so so I just hear during the sermon. It's just like, just give me that. Open it up. Just cram it down her throat. You know, like I have anger issues that I need to get out sometimes. But no. So she'd finally get it open. And the preacher's preaching. And then with her dentures, I just hear. She had bad coffee breath. And she'd get out a second one. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Babies. Jane McCowan, phones, whatever. I think they got nothing on these four guys. Because while Jesus is teaching their center stage, teaching all of these people in the crowded house, pretty soon some dust starts to fall on his head. And he's like, what in the world is going on here? And then all of a sudden, sunlight starts coming through. And, and then, you know, the hands, and they're pulling back the tile and the thatch and everything. And then eight goofy eyeballs looking down. And they're like, hey, Jesus. And he's like, hey, I'm kind of in the middle of something. And they're like, yeah. We know. And they shoved this guy down through the hole in the roof. 
It's like, oh, okay, I guess sermon's over. And Jesus, I can picture Peter getting up and kind of, you know, picking this guy, laying him down. And an average Jewish male was five foot six inches tall uh, back then. And so he lays down. And so the disciples have to back up and the Pharisees have to back up and the family and the other guests that made it inside the house, they have to back up. And the very guy that wouldn't let this man in through the front door, he loses his spot in the house. It kind of serves him right, doesn't it? I'll show him. And so there everybody is. Now, what's going to happen? Ooh, it's about to get good. What's going to happen? Come on, Tyler, what's going to happen? There's going to be a healing up in here, isn't there? Absolutely. Tyler Coffee. Always sat in my class with a cup of coffee. One day it backfired on him, and he spilt his coffee into his backpack. Remember that day? That was a bad day. He didn't care about anything in his backpack. He's like, my coffee's gone. Like, I don't know what to do. It's like his whole identity was just crushed right then and there. Yeah. Awesome guy, awesome student, and you guys are blessed to have him and Sarah here. Best thing that ever happened to you, Jesus Christ. Second best thing, your wife Sarah. She's awesome. Okay. Yeah, there's going to be, Tyler's right, there's going to be a healing. And so everybody knows this in the house. You know it. Like, what's going to happen? And so they all are kind of like holding their breath. The four guys up on the roof are like, yes, we're going to have a healing. We did it. Okay. And so Jesus bends down. And everybody's like, here we go. It's going to happen. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, you know the end of the story. But in this moment, they don't know what's going to happen. They think, that's it. Now, do you have anybody in your family that's a bad gift giver? <laughs> now, if your mama's here and it's her, don't you dare raise your hand or point at her. You will never get another gift again. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people, it's dad, because dad's usually last minute, like, I don't know what to get. Yeah. Caleb, there's a Dollar General near our house, and he, somebody will tell him, like, hey, it's your dad's birthday. He's like, I'll be right back. And he just <laughs> runs down to Dollar General, bought me duct tape and some bungee cords. I'm like, hey, I got my redneck U-Haul supplies now. Like, I'm good. I'm not kidding you. That's what he got me for my birthday. Like, that, I was like, sweet. I can now move some stuff. Yeah. Bad gift gift. My grandma, she wasn't very good. I'm, I am the self-proclaimed from her, not my self-proclaimed, her self-proclaimed favorite in a large Italian family. Really makes all of my cousins and my brothers happy that she proclaims me her favorite because I'm the preacher. But I was her favorite from a young age. My parents were young. Uh, they were 17 when I was born and lived at grandma's house and she kind of raised me and they partied hard. And so they, I was always dropped off at grandma's house and I'm just just her favorite. It's my lot in life to be my grandma's favorite, which sounds really good until it came when I was younger to gift giving. And there was one time, man, there was an ugly sweater at Christmas time before ugly sweaters were even popular. And so my cousins are opening up footballs and skateboards or whatever it is that she got them. And I pull out this sweater and she says to me, do you like it? And what did I say? Yeah. yeah. So you've lied to your grandmother as well. Mm-hmm. There is going to be some repenting up in here because I think that is the 11th commandment. Do not lie to your grandmother, you'll go to hell. You know, like, yeah. No, we shouldn't lie to our grandma, but I didn't want to hurt her feelings. I didn't know what to say. I was like, uh-huh. And then she goes, oh, try it on. And all my cousins are like, yeah, put that on. A 12-year-old boy doesn't necessarily want their grandma getting them a sweater. Like, it's just not, it, or at least at that time, that just wasn't happening at all. Do you think I ever wore that thing again? 
Yes, I most certainly did when my mama made me put it on to go to grandma's house. That was it. Like, no, not happening. We've got bad gift givers. And I wonder when Jesus bends down and says, son, your sins are forgiven. If the four guys up on the roof are going, hey, Jesus, thanks. You got anything else under the tree? Like, who's going to carry him home? You going to lug him back, Jesus? It took four of us to get him here. Like, there, there's some confusion that goes on. There, everybody's confused. Maybe everybody's disappointed in that moment, except for the guy that's on the map, because there's already a social stigma that he's living with, that he's done something to make God angry, to cause God to curse him and hate him, and now he's got the Son of God that has forgiven him of his sins. I think he's okay with it, but Jesus isn't done. See, the first miracle that happens here is that he actually reads the thoughts of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that are in that room right there because they start thinking to themselves, who is this man that is forgiving sins? Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And they are absolutely 100% correct. Only God can forgive our eternal sins. What they're refusing to believe, though, is that this is God in the flesh that is forgiving sins. And so Jesus reads their thoughts and he goes, hey, which is easier? To say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, get up and walk? I'll ask you that. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? walk. Here are two different answers. Maybe both are really easy things to say and hard things to do. It's easy to tell somebody you're forgiven and not really forgive them. It's easy to tell somebody that you're healed and not really bring healing into their life. It's hard to do those things. And Jesus says to show you that the Son of Man, which is a way that he would refer to himself, to show you that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, and I think he says something like this, like, watch this, boys. And he turns to the man and he says, hey, get up. Take your mat and walk. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened. Remember, it's an up-close miracle. Everybody's crowded around there. So we don't know if, like, muscles starting to tighten and blood started flowing through his legs and the, and the tendons and everything are just com- becoming stronger as he kind of pulls himself up on Peter's arm and Peter helps him out and he's got wobbly giraffe legs for a little bit and then they're stronger and he starts kicking and jumping and, like, celebrating and the whole house starts celebrating. I think it's more like Jackie Chan. He just kind of, like, waha, ninja up, you know, throat kicked a ferret. In the, in, the, in the throat and then was like yeah take that sucker look at me I'm walking uh huh yeah either way the whole house just starts to celebrate whenever this guy gets up and he picks up his mat and he can walk everybody's hugging everybody's high fiving each other the four guys up on the roof they're hugging each other they're, they're hugging and, and high fiving each other they're going crazy up on the roof as a matter of fact the text says that one of them fell through the hole in the roof broke his leg Jesus had to heal him too is it, is it in there? Do you, just double, double, I'm sure it's like in the Greek manuscripts or something. If I'm quoting Greek, I'm lying on the stage. So maybe that part didn't happen. But everybody celebrated. Can you imagine the man's walk home? Do, do you think he ran home because he had a family and he wanted to show them, like his wife, his kids, whoever, his mom, dad? Do, do you think like he just walked along the Sea of Galilee for a little while by himself, just like, man, I was carried in there and the roof and uh, I'm walking, like just in utter amazement. You know what I think he did? I think he took the four guys that loaded him through the roof out for pizza <laughs> or figs or whatever they ate back then. Like, yeah, 
I think he went and celebrated with them. Like, can you believe this? This is awesome. And once again, good stories in the scripture that we can read over and over again. And we're going, man, that is awesome that that happened. We're so thankful for Jesus in people's lives back then. But then you get to it and you're at one weekend and you're going, okay, what does that have to do with me? How does Jesus doing this actually like change my destiny or give me clarity of you know, God's unfolding will for my life? Like, what, what do I do with this? Can I offer two suggestions? The first one has to do with the man that's on the mat, that's there. And there's this, there's this phrase that I use that I, that I kind of figured out you know, from this text that it's just easy to lodge into your mind. And it's something I think a lot of people deal with that, that struggle with this. And it's not necessarily the thing that's on the, your top 10 list of the top 10 sins that I struggle with, but maybe it should be. And it's just this phrase that says, healing follows forgiveness. What was the first thing that that Jesus said to this man? You're forgiven. What's the second thing he said? You're healed. I think the ordering of Jesus' interaction with this man might be able to speak some truth into our lives today that healing always follows forgiveness. So many people, young and old, they want Jesus just to kind of swoop down and fix their life like a carpenter or they want to clean up their mess like a maid or they want him just to like do cosmetic surgery so that you look good on the outside but on the inside you're just struggling hard and one of the deepest things that we can wrestle with that we allow a bitter root to just grow up in us would be the, di- the issue of forgiveness. It's hard to forgive people. How many of you have been stabbed in the back by a friend before? How many of you have been gossiped or lied about before? Sure, and by the way, if you got people that are gossiping to you, they will gossip about you in, the turn of a, in, the, in just a blink of an eye. And if you're that person, just stop it because it hurts. Some of you have been defamed on social media. Some of you have just, you know, I just need to say the word divorce. And it just lets this bitter root just well up in you. Forgiving people is hard when we've been hurt. We're desperate to just kind of hang on to some of that unforgiveness. I mean, the word forgiveness, there's a couple of different words uh, that that you can kind of describe and define it. Uh, One of the words in the Old Testament, it means like to cover over. It's a covering. And so when they would do their sacrifices of of animals back then, their blood was, you know, symbolic. It would cover over your sins, which kind of then foreshadows into what Jesus' blood does for us. But then there's this other word. It's not used nearly as much, but it has to do not... Not necessarily with our sins being forgiven this way, but forgiving sins this way. It means, like this word, it means to unclench your fist. And so somebody does you wrong, they do your family or your friends wrong. It's like you have your fist clenched up and you want to pound them over and over and over again. Not just to hurt them, but it almost brings soothing and healing into your life. Like, you know, that you, the, the more you hit them, the better you feel. I know there's some of us in here that have been that angry before, that just hard-hearted and so upset, maybe for good reason as well. There's lots of bad stuff that happens to good people and you just want to pound them. There's an, that word, it either means like to, to unclench the fist, meaning to let loose, like to let, to let go like that, like you're not going to pound somebody in the face, or a better, a better way to think about it is, is that somebody has hurt you and you get a hold of them and you grab their throat and you clench your fist like you squeeze, you slowly squeeze the life out of them until you feel better. And so to forgive 
means to unclench your fist, to let loose, to let go. And it's a continuous word, meaning that you have to do this over and over and over again. Because some of you know that you've been wronged multiple times by the same person. And you have to forgive over and over again. Or you think that you've you know, settled with this thing that your friend did or siblings or your parents or your kids or whoever it is that you're dealing with this forgiveness issue. And you think that you've got it settled and then you're laying there in, in the middle of the night and you just can't sleep because this just keeps welling up and it's like you clench your fist all over again. Healing follows forgiveness. If you want true healing in this matter... The answer is to look to the cross because we are called to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. We forgive because of what he did on the cross, demonstrated last night. And so when you're wrestling with somebody else, we have to think, can Jesus cover over their sins? And if he is willing to cover over their sins, why am I not willing? Because he's already done this for me. And how many times have I re-crucified the living Christ over and over again by hurting other people and yet... I can't extend forgiveness to this person. Healing will always follow forgiveness. Forgive and watch the Lord start healing your life. Yeah, you might have a scar, but a scar is far different than an open wound, isn't it? That scar is a reminder of something that happened no different than if you fell off your bike and you have a scar. It's a reminder of that day that you won't forget. You won't forget when you had to go to the ER and to get the stitches. And and so you know what that's like to have that scar. Man, we have spiritual scars, but man, that is far better far better than an open wound and when you won't let loose when you keep clenching your fist it just refesters that open wound and you're not actually hurting that person you're only hurting yourself healing follows forgiveness some of us in here we're and i fall in this category i don't really wrestle with with forgiving other people i let pretty much anything roll off my back believe it or not and maybe nothing that bad has happened to me i don't know it just it seems natural but others they struggle with being forgiven by god And in a room this size, I know that there's somebody in here that you feel like you don't belong. That you walk in the door and you have all of these sweet people that are here greeting you and you've got your host homes that you were staying with and they they seem like this perfect Christian family. And then, you know, you come in and the youth leaders and and the sponsors that are here and your youth pastors and everybody seems to have their act together. Everybody seems so perfect. And if your life was put up here on the screen in a four minute video, you would be completely embarrassed and you would leave the church because of your deep, dark secrets, your problems that you have, all of these issues that you wrestle with. And there's just no way you're too dirty, you're too sinful to be forgiven by God. And I say, quit listening to the lies of the evil one. Students, look around. Adults in here, raise your hand if you're perfect. Go ahead, raise them up. Hurry up. Let's go. Oh, no hands. As a matter of fact, if you are perfect, please leave. A new church rule. No perfect people allowed. You're going to screw it all up for the rest of us. No perfect people allowed. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And if you're in here today and you're thinking, I'm too bad, I'm too filthy, I'm too dirty, there's no way, absolutely not. You have to look to the cross. You have to look to the cross and forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. And you have to look to the cross because what you're doing is you're not denying, you're not, you're not, by saying that you're too sinful, what you're doing is not focusing just on your sin. What you're doing is actually denying the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You're saying he could cover everybody else's sins but mine. You're, you're, just, you're just diminishing the work that Jesus came here to do. 
And you're going, no, I love Jesus. It's just that you don't understand my life. You're right. I don't understand your life. And guess what? You are not good enough to get to heaven. You're just not. You are too dirty. You are too sinful. But Christ Jesus came and died to make men and women like you holy. He came to make us perfect. How many of you are perfect? How many of you are holy? Raise your hands. You are. Not because of how you feel. Facts don't care about your feelings. Your feelings are worthless at this point. It doesn't matter. They're just lies from the evil one, lies from our own flesh. The fact is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive every single sin of yours, past, present, and future, and you cannot argue with that. It's just a fact. And by listening to your own flesh or the lies of the evil one to say, no, I'm too whatever you're too much of, you're just denying this. Why would you do that? Those hands were spread out, but they were released from that cross to embrace you. Through the resurrection. And you can have that. So do you struggle with forgiving others? Healing follows forgiveness. Do you struggle with being forgiven by God? Healing follows forgiveness. Maybe you struggle with just forgiving yourself. That's probably where I wrestle the most. Why is it? Why is it that I am the worst and meanest and nastiest to the people that I'm closest to. My worst behavior has been demonstrated to my wife who I love and my my children who I love dearly. I'm nicer to you and you're practically strangers than I have been to my wife and kids at times. Why is that? Think about who you're worst to, mom, dad, siblings. Why do we do that? And sometimes it's like, yeah, I acknowledge I can forgive other people and I acknowledge I've been forgiven by Christ, but I just don't let myself off the hook. And I stay in this perpetual just sadness that I'm not good enough to be a, a good dad or I'm not good enough uh, you know, to be a good husband. And, and you guys can translate that out to whatever you're not good enough to do, to do. No, the answer over here is the same as there and there. You look to the cross. Because Jesus Christ climbed up on the cross to be, to be punished for my sins, so why do I keep re-crucifying myself over and over again as if it will absolve my sins? It won't. I have to let loose of my own fist from around my own throat and live in the freedom that Christ Jesus has forgiven me. Every answer of where to find healing results in the cross. Healing follows forgiveness. Second point of application could not come necessarily from the man that's laying on the mat, but how he got there. How did he get there again? Wheelchair? You have a walker of some sort? How, how was it again? Yeah, his friends. He had four friends that got him there. It's an amazing story. Like, we don't really see a whole lot of stories like this. A lot of times Jesus is just interacting directly with the, with the person that, that needs the healing. But now there's like this, this uh, go-between. There's this mediator. It's these four friends that did whatever it took to bust through a roof to make sure that this guy received forgiveness and healing. And it's amazing. 
I absolutely love it. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 5 there, it says that Jesus didn't look at this guy's faith. The only thing that this guy did to demonstrate faith was to stand up and pick up his mat. But instead, verse 5 points out something very, very specific, that when Jesus saw their faith, their faith, their faith, that Jesus was looking at the faith of the four guys up on the roof that did whatever it took to bust through that roof to get him on the ground at Jesus' feet to experience the same healing and forgiveness that you and I have received. They would not stop at anything. These four guys were destined to change somebody else's destiny. Quit worrying about God's will for your life and start looking around to see what God is doing in the life of the people around you and get them to the feet of Jesus so they can experience the same healing and forgiveness that you've experienced at one weekend and in your life when you accepted Christ. That's your destiny. Reminds me of this little girl I had in my youth group. I was a youth pastor, um, this eighth grade girl named Jenna Lee Long. She was so sweet all the time. I talked to her mom one time saying, Jenna's so sweet. And she goes, huh, you haven't seen her roll her eyes or slam her door at home. How many of you girls know how to roll your eyes? Uh-huh. I just saw some like head bobbing, weaving right there. That was nice. Caddy, she had it going on right there. She's an adult woman, still knows how to roll her eyes like she was a teenager, you know? But Jenna, I mean, she was, she was just a good, good young lady. And she shows up at our Wednesday night youth group one time. And, and there she is. And she brought her friend Amanda with her. And she says, hi, Bob. This is Amanda. It was Amanda's first time there. I was like, oh, so nice that you're here. And Jenna says, yeah, Amanda's here and she'd like to be baptized. I go, oh, well, that's cool. I was like, after our youth group service, like, we'll sit down. I wanted to make sure that Amanda understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, about him dying on the cross for her, resurrection, that when we're baptized, we're buried into water. You know, water washes away our sins, and we're raised to new life. Like, I I wanted to explain this this symbolism here. As a matter of fact, uh, I I know this church, I think it was announced earlier that there's going to be a baptism service, and that's something that you haven't done. I would strongly consider taking that step of faith having your sins washed away symbolically by water and and you're buried with Christ and and raised to new life, man, that is an an important step that we see all over in the New Testament. And so Jenna is telling me that, that she wants this and I'm explaining how I want to sit down and talk with her about this big decision. And Jenna says to me, do you think I would bring somebody to youth group and, and bring them here to be baptized and I haven't shared those things with them? And I thought, well, you little snot. Your mother was right. I've been to Bible college. I kind of know Greek. And so we sit down right there and I start asking Amanda questions. And man, she knows her stuff and her heart is ready. Like she's ready to go because her and Jenna would take their lunch and they would sit in a stairwell. And instead of worrying about all the other junk that went on at lunch, they sat in a stairwell and they just opened up God's word together. And people would walk by and say, what are you doing? And they'd say, we're studying the Bible. Some people would make fun of them. They just didn't care. That was the spot that they could find that was quiet enough to open up the word of God. And Amanda would ask questions and Jenna would try and answer them. And some stuff she didn't know. So she would go to her small group leader or she would ask her parents. She was just trying to get this information and she would constantly just feed Amanda the word of God until she shows up on a Wednesday night and I'm sitting there with her and I'm like, go. And so they go up to the baptistry and she baptizes her friend right there and our whole youth group celebrates and it's awesome. And everybody's just like high-fiving and loving them. This huge thing. And then later that week, it's like 10 at night, Jenna calls me and is like, hey, Tiffany and I, we also, or uh, Amanda and I, we have our friend Tiffany 
that we've been talking to and Tiffany would join them in that stairwell and they were sharing this good stuff that was going on and, and they were witnessing to her I'm like Tiffany she's ready to be baptized I didn't dare ask her if she'd share the gospel and like I didn't want to be put in my place by an eighth grade girl again I go man that's awesome Sunday morning and man Sunday mornings with youth or on the stage or when they're in the baptistry or they're doing an awesome thing like the old people around here love it like they'll wait, like at our church, like they would wait around for a half an hour while that girl would be back there fixing her hair, getting it all done up and everything. So she'd come out after being in the baptistry and that little old lady would hug her like, welcome to the family, you know, kind of thing. Like, man, they loved it. They're young people. So I'm like, Sunday morning, they'll love that. And you can baptize your friend. Like the both of them were going to baptize Tiffany. And they said, Sunday morning, absolutely not. Like her parents are on the way up to the church right now. There, there's water there. Let's go. Get up there. Like I, I had to go up to the church and unlock the doors for this baptism and everything. And then weeks would go by, sometimes months would go by. And later in high school, Jenna's a small group leader for some fifth grade girls. And she had them over for a slumber party. And she's talking with them. And they're watching movies and painting nails or whatever girls do when they get together. And But she was making sure to instill the gospel in them. And she was doing that all the time as a small group leader assistant that she was. And so there's two or three of them that we had to go and unlock the doors for them to be baptized. And this would just happen all the time, including two teachers, her brother, her stepdad, baptized all, like, she just kept doing this. She wasn't concerned about what's God's plan for my life, what's his unfolding will. She just kept putting one foot in front of the other, following the Holy Spirit, and seeing who she was destined to cross paths with that day, and she was going to make sure that they heard the gospel. And if one little eighth grade girl from Portland, Oregon, could share the gospel and do this, and she was doing her part to bust through a roof, what's wrong with us? Oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, neither was she. But Christ is. She was just taking a step to do whatever it takes to bust through a roof, to get those people at the feet of Jesus to experience the same healing and forgiveness that she experienced. And what is wrong with us? Church, you are not called to just soak in the Word of God at one weekend and get fat on the Word of God without sharing it with somebody else. That Word of God is not just for you. It's delivered from this stage and in there week after week after week so that you can go and bust through roofs for people. Shoot, partway through Jenna's high school career, I got so tired of going up to the church and unlocking the doors, I just went to the hardware store and made her a key and said, here, take it, go. And before you clap, when are you going to force Kevin to make you a key? When are you going to drive him so crazy not with your antics and your pranks. Not with childish things. Again, I'm not against fun. But fun in its proper place means gospel first. Feeding other people the gospel. That is your destiny. Your destiny in Christ is to change other people's destiny in Christ. You are destined to bring the same healing and forgiveness that to others that God has put into your life follows forgiveness and forgiveness is brought by the cross of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ is brought to other people by 